Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today we're going to talk about a sacred connection that was created with the mountains, and it all started on a trip to Mount Everest Base Camp in the Himalayan mountains of Nepal. I am super excited about this episode because Everest Base Camp is on my personal vision board, and it's a trip I plan to make at some point. I love this trip because while it's a serious challenge, it doesn't require the technical skills and the crazy time commitment of training for the summit. Our guest is Monica Fernandi from Northern Virginia, originally from New Jersey. Monica is a yoga teacher of 20 years. She's a retreat leader and creator and a recently published author of her new book, Open Your Presence, A Simple Method to find calm in chaos. On her base camp trip, Monica found a connection to the mountains that has opened doors to even more adventure and other unexpected doors that have opened. I am so excited for her to share her journey with us today. Monica, welcome to the campfire. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Gratitude. Appreciate it. Yeah, I am so excited to have this conversation. Um, Basecamp has been on my list for a long time, but you have so much more to share. That was just the beginning for you. Um, you know, gave the quick brief intro, yoga instructor for 20 years, among other things, retreats, uh, writing a book. Tell us just a little bit more about Monica before we jump into the to the story here. Well, I will say that I'm an empty nester. I'll add to that. I've got three grown children who I um, am very excited to tell you they're on their next adventure of getting engaged and married and all that great stuff. Um, uh, my first half of my life was a little bit of um, a mountain of being on the stage. I had a New York City acting career and commercial acting and uh, stage. And Somehow that seems to be a mountain that I overcame and then went into the mountain of being a mother. And I see that the symbolism of this is that, um, yes, I did trek over up and around some literal mountains, which you're going to talk about. But the, the, the purpose of my life in the second half of my life, Scott, is to help open people's eyes, H-O-P-E, open their eyes to their light that spark, that, you know, that little bit of, I know I want to do something like go to Mount Everest Base Camp, but I need to turn that pilot light into a flame. And, and this is a perfect uh, place to be with the campfire metaphor. The, the notion of my second half of my life, I am now a life coach. I launched the new business uh, in 2020. Everybody else was painting their house and doing projects and staying at home. And I was um, creating a new business. So I have a fitness yoga business and I have the life coaching, which truly, if you look at my years as a yoga teacher, I've been coaching under the umbrella of the body, mind, and spirit, truly. Um, and before that, I coached myself to get on the stage, which is a little daunting to sing and dance in front of people, a mountain in and of itself. Um, and then the author book thing came out of all of these nearly 30 years of my experience. One big old mountain here. And I'm I'm the last of the baby boomers, Mr. Scott. I don't know <laughs> if you know what year that is, but I'm here to tell you that in my book, even I, I help the readers and my coaching clients uh, boom. Right. What do I mean by that? Be this. Get that spark going again and be the firecracker. Take action today. We are not promised tomorrow. So here I am as I climb over mountains, literally, figuratively, and I'm so grateful to be here with you. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that was fantastic. And you're speaking my language. So <laughs> I heard a couple of things. You said you want to be the pilot light that helps turn people that that light into the flame. You want to be that. Yes, right? yes, and yes, yes. We're all born with a light within, that divine spark, right? Each of us has a purpose, I believe. And that light within is either sometimes it's uh, diminished by exterior circumstances uh, as a child or trauma and so on. But that's where the healing and the where do we get that oxygen to feed that fire and to take action so that we can what? 
burn through, transform, right? Which is what the fire does. It really takes that log and it changes it and it creates this next level of whatever it is. So yeah, that's just a metaphor, but literally when you get a gut feeling about something, that's your fire talking to you. Okay. So here we go, because that's okay. what Inspire Campfire is all about. It's We spend time talking with people about their extraordinary stories of adventure, but all starts with this call to adventure, right? So, so Inspire Campfire is about helping people listen to the voice inside that calls to adventure, right? That's right. This is what you're talking about. Yeah. So, so we're going to have a fun conversation today. Let's Let's start with the voice that called you to adventure. So you went to Everest base camp. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I want to just hear a little bit more about how that happened. How did that come to be? What what called you to the mountains? Let me just say, I know the listeners out there and yourself included, you know how things just kind of happen and fall into your mm -hmm. lap sometimes and you look back and go, oh, now I get it. Uh, I wasn't looking to go to Mount Everest base camp. In fact, it, was, it wasn't on my bucket list. It was on my, my husband's bucket list, but it came into my lap, if you will, with the uh, the book concept. I wanted to write this book for several years and I went to a workshop where they were, uh, the woman teaching it had already written some books and she was teaching us how to find out publishing and editing all the parts that go with the book writing, another mountain to climb, right? And she was also uh, very big um, in, and involved her and her husband with World Hope International. And they were doing a fundraiser to go to Mount Everest Base Camp to bring awareness of clean water accessibility and the lack of clean water in our world uh, and support this cause. So I, I learned of this as a result of the book publishing educational thing, right, workshop. And so it fell into my lap. Then she said, hey, you didn't, you didn't respond to my invite. Do you want to go on that fundraiser? I said, look like something from Star Wars, the, the picture of it. So the woman that led the trek is Sarah Hostreiter, who is going for the seven, seven seas, seven summits, the first woman to sail all seven seas and climb all seven summits, talk about adventure. And so she was leading this trek and um, inspirational and coaching us. And so this woman, Marianne is her name, who led me to this invite to take on this fundraiser. Then I bring it home to my husband. I'm like, look, I just want to write a book. And she's talking about this fundraiser to Mount Everest. Well, his jaw dropped, his eyes opened like you. He's like, I've always wanted to go to Mount Everest Base Camp. What? So we did some research, long story short, looked at a lot of videos on YouTube. Whoa, this is what? Okay. I think it, I think I say yes. After three months, I mold over it. Um, and yeah, I love hiking but I've never done anything like this. I've never gone to the other side of the world. And when I saw these suspension bridges that are um, about, shoot, I've lost track now, maybe 12 to 15, you go up and over to get to just the base camp. This is just the base camp. Uh, I was like, what? This is, if you have a fear of heights, you gotta get over it, breathe and, and follow through one step at a time. So it fell into my lap and I loved it. It was life-changing. And I put the book on hold to take this adventure with my husband. And there was five of us on our team. Um, and we we did it. And I'll, I'll let you inquire more and ask questions. But, you know, not everybody can do it because of the altitude, yeah. the altitude. So yeah. that that whipped our butts. Yeah. And, and I, and I really like selfishly, I'm anxious to kind of go through all of the details because it is a trip that I hope to do at some point. Um, but yes. I do want to talk about again, kind of that, the, the voice that calls to adventure, because yes, this fell in your lap. It was, it was handed to you like, Hey, here's an opportunity, but you said yes. You know, I did. So with any adventure, with any, with anything, there is that call to adventure, but so often many people will refuse that call. And they'll say, no, but you didn't. True. No, um, I, I, like I said before, I, I'm a late bloomer maybe in my baby booming, but I was not the um, extroverted. Uh, I was very quiet and shy in the first half of my life. And, and that had to change if I wanted to take on a, the mountain of a career on the stage. Um, and I learned how to, to conquer that. But I've always been drawn to hiking and camping. And my parents who were city, New York City people, uh, introduced us to camping. When you take your car, you know, and you you park right there next to your site, that's the kind of camping they did, that car side camping. Yeah. And then, the, you know, they, they were New York City people, but they started to in, enrich our lives with nature 
and the northern New Jersey woods and the lakes and the community that I myself raised my three children around. And they too have the love of nature. So that mountain intrigue, that's what it was. I was like, uh, so my daughter's best, one of her dear friends went to base camp. And this was before I heard of this invitation. I'll back up. She went to it and I was blown away. Like you went to Mount Everest base camp? What was that like? And she showed me pictures and I'm thinking summit, right? Uh, you don't know unless you really know what you're talking about. The summit is not on my list. You go and have a good time, Scott. I'll support you if you go. <laughs> that base camp was hard enough because of the altitude. So this um, this young gal that went, you know, she did. She said, oh, you got to go. You got to love it. So when I decided I would do it, I asked, I picked her brain. And, you know, on another call, you and I, can, I'll, I'll help you guide you through, too, if you have any questions that. about the details. Yeah. I think what I want to, what I kind of want to get to, I mean, you said that it took you three months to decide and to say yeah. yes. I, yeah, 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 right. You yes. Know, and whether that's an exaggeration, if it was three weeks or weeks or three months, however long it was, you did experience some resistance. And I'm curious, like, what was, you know, what were the stumbling blocks for you and you know, what, what was that path to yes for you? Good question. It is what uh, most of us humans in our brain does. You know, our brain was created to survive and our soul and our spirit was meant to dive into some risk taking and adventure. And that's how we grow and evolve. Yeah. And, you know, that is, that was calling me uh, and that, you know, protective state that, that wanted to be safe and home here and not travel the other side of the world, all these what ifs is what I coach people on. And so how did I overcome it? I practiced my own methodology, which is let me just one step at a time, yeah. breathe through it. Because if we get caught up in the what ifs, the future or the past, and then people started saying, did you hear about all these accidents? I stopped, stay in your lane. I don't need to <laughs> look. We're, our time is our time. And right. Lukla Airport is the airport that you fly into. And if you Google Lukla Airport, it is the most dangerous airport in the world because it's short and it, there's a mountain there and they don't have high technology in their planes. And, and yeah. um, if there's clouds, you don't fly, you get grounded. So yes, I don't need to hear all those fear-based thoughts. My own self-talk is where I needed to coach me through and then look at the beauty and the awe because of my connection to mountains. I've always been that looking up at the clouds person in awe and wonder since I was little. I've always loved nature. Uh, I used to take my Barbie dolls out in our backyard in the woods and go camping. <laughs> I mean, just to give you an idea, yeah. that's my, my, my love of nature because that grounds us all. But to this extreme, uh, I was like, wow, all right. I'm going to do it. And I just said, that's, that's the risk taker that I am. I mean, I jumped out of a plane when I turned 40, I, I jumped out of a perfectly good plane with a parachute course. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, these things that, yeah, you, they just wake, wakes you up. And this was one of those moments that I was like, okay, I'm going to do this so that I can encourage others to take that step into uh, transformation truly. Hey everyone, it's Scott here. Did you know that the members of my real estate team, W Realty Group, are listening to their own voices that call to adventure by setting big goals? Some of those goals include planning trips to Bali and the Kingdom of Bhutan, buying investment homes and running the Chicago Marathon. At W Realty Group, we support and encourage these big goals and want to help turn them into reality. We're currently looking to add new members to the team. If you know a great real estate agent in the Charlotte, North Carolina area that would benefit from being part of our team, please send a text, an email, or give me a call. And know that when you support W Realty Group, you're also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening. And I want to stay with yes for one more minute. Do you remember kind of the moment that you said yes? Or do you remember sort of like what was the trigger? Like that, that, that where was that? What was that threshold for you whereby you said yes and there was no looking back? Well, it was funny because my daughter was at Virginia Tech. Um, I think it was down there for her concert. Uh, we were showing the kids uh, the video, one of the YouTube videos that were, were really, was really well done that mm -hmm. people survived and came back and showed the, the trek. And I was like, look, I think your mom's going to do this. And their jaws dropped, you know, and for me to be a parent who is, like I said, now empty nester to lead by example, I want my children now grown to, to take initiative and not let fear hold them back. Mm -hmm. And my clients as well. So being that example and saying, yes, I think it was 
uh, a moment in that weekend of going to Virginia Tech. And I'm like, yeah, I, I think I'm going to hear myself say this. Yes. And then I'm going to believe it. Right. So believing it to achieve it. And then I just rolled with it and we prepped mentally for it physically. You can't practice for altitude here, but that yes committed me to um, getting to REI and getting all the equipment and then talking to other people and journaling and prepping. And I did hill climbing backwards, forwards, you know, every direction, being a personal trainer anyway. I don't remember that exact day, but it had to do with the awe of those others that had gone. Ooh, you just used one of my favorite words, which is awe. We're, awe. We're gonna, we'll have to come back to that word. So, um, yeah. all right. I, I heard a little bit of Ted Lasso in there. You have to believe to achieve. I love yes. that. Um, yes. but, what, but what I heard you say was that that the yes was really centered around, I, I almost heard um, holding yourself accountable to being a role model for your kids and your clients. And once you spoke it out loud, there was no turning back. Being accountable. Yes. I believe that I, um, I affirm and I proclaim and yeah. I commit with the power of word. And yes yeah. is one of my, I tell my, you know, when you just put your arms up like this and you say yeah. yes, and you give somebody a high five, it just shifts your energy, right? Yeah. We are energy beings and we're creatures of that. And we connect and ripple out with encouraging and you can feel a, a heavy energy versus a light energy and all of that. I know you speak about and have guests talk about on your podcast. So yes, that moment of committing because integrity of my word is one of the tenets I learned back when I was a martial artist. Uh, I did six years of Taekwondo cool. and to have integrity of your word. You know what I mean? You, you, you walk the walk, don't talk the talk. Right? So that's one of one of the blogs I actually wrote um, that I believe you take action and, and others will just feel the energy ripple out the joy, the joy. That's it. Yeah. This is awesome. So uh, yeah. along the way from that time that you committed to the time that you guys actually took the trip, did you experience any fears and doubts in that time? Oh, sure. When I got to, uh, got to the lawyer's office and had my will written. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Was, we're planning. This is good. Yeah. Let's get prepared. All the things. Yeah. Um, sure. You know, because it is on the other side of the world and um, a couple of plane rides worth every minute of it. And yeah, there's, Never mind getting to base camp, but it's the steps to it, just like anything. So it did the things, did, the, did the, the proper things for training as best we could. I didn't go out west and get to like a 14,000 foot mountain, which yeah. would have been maybe a little helpful. But um, yeah, I started to uh, own it, if you will. I started to own it to the point where we were counting down the days, much like what's happening with, with my other trek, what happened this time last year, I was getting ready for another trek. And so when we go on an adventure, we have to remember just like climbing the literal mountain, one step at a time, one breath at a time. It all works out, as my mother always used to say. Yeah. And I love this. I mean, you know, we, we laugh about getting the will, but I mean, <laughs> you know, when you experience these fears and doubts, you know, action often is the thing that gets us past, right? So we're, we have these fears and doubts. And so, you know, what do we do? We take action. We go get our will made like, okay, push past yeah. that one. Like let's keep yeah. going. So I love uh, that. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's pivot and talk about the trip itself. I want to talk about Everest base camp. Can you just walk me and the listeners through what, what is that trip? Well, let me just start off by going back to you and tie this up with uh, what you just said about doubt and fear and taking action. I've been using a quote from the 1700s by Wolfgang Goethe that is, doubt can only be overcome by taking action. Mm. Doubt can only be overcome by taking action. So that means get out in the ring. Fear is going to be there. Take action and, and do it. You know, shake it off, whatever. Uh, stepping into, right? We don't wait for peace to happen. We create it, yeah. right? As a yoga teacher, that's a mind-body connection. For sure, it starts with your thoughts. So that thought of, yes, I'm going to do this, and then finding the breath, guide me through. So once I land over there, oh, and by the way, to get you to that Lukla airport again, visualize this. We find out that they can't fly because there's cloud coverage. We had already mm -hmm. been in the city of Kathmandu for two nights, uh, getting at last-minute supplies. And... Then we had to get a long journey, very bumpy, hilly ride up to where this Lukla airport is. And then we find out we're grounded because they cannot fly. We want to be safe, but people kept showing up more people that were going to do the same trek. So right. we were 
not even sure at that point we we're going to go. My heart kind of sank. I was like, oh my gosh, how yeah. can we, we have to go. We get this far. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we had to stay overnight and our Trek guide who is still uh, my Facebook friend across the other side of the world. It's coming up on four years ago. I can't believe it that we got ready for this Trek. And so he was fantastic and found us a place to stay. We couldn't fly out till the next day. And then they were on that tiny airport and I'm seeing the Himalayan mountains as we were flying mm -hmm. and oh, just awe and wonder and the propeller planes and we're right there next to the cockpit. And it was just, my heart was, it was so exciting. It's like Christmas morning every day up. And then, and then you land at about 9,000 feet and then you trek up and acclimate in tea houses. And we had a whole, you know, strategic plan. Um, and we had to take time to get there to acclimate. So we, was, we lost time because this flight got held right. back. We lost right. a little time. Um, and then they were like, we got to keep up the pace. And just when my lungs were going, I can't breathe because of the lack of oxygen. As I got to about, oh, it was about 14,000 feet that I started to feel the effects of okay. uh, the, the, the altitude. But they wanted us to keep the pace. And I couldn't even carry my body weight, let alone a small pack. Um, we did have Sherpas, our Trek guide, you know, get, was mm -hmm. phenomenal. They took all the heavy equipment up. They'd run, they'd leap. They're so used to this altitude and breathing lightly. Um, they were also about 19 years old. But anyway, <laughs> the tea houses were amazing. The trek was amazing because you go through a, a, a natural a forest. You go through different types of terrain. Um, the people of the villages are so welcoming. And um, every day was different. It was different challenges. It only rained once. It was only a little bit of rain once, um, but it was exciting and the food was good. And, and all you did was, you know, sleep, get up and start and walk all day again the next day. Um, and it took us, uh, I should have reviewed this before we are podcast today. I want to say it took four or five days up. Okay. No. So about six up and then four down. It was longer to get up, of course. Okay. Great. So, um, so you land at 9,000 feet and you're starting this climb, um, just for, for context, what is the elevation approximately of base camp? Uh, it is 17, six, Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you still got another 10,000 plus to go to the summit if, if that's what you're doing, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so for, for context, for people that maybe aren't familiar with this trek, can you just sort of contrast Everest Base Camp with those that are 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 out there for the season to try to attempt to summit? What's the difference between these two trips? I know it, I know it's extreme, but if you could oh just my gosh, do you oh the summiting is a whole different ball of wax, big uh, big 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 adventure that is not mm -hmm. for the light of heart. I do have a friend who's about to do it. Her brother's friend, uh, my her brother is doing it. Um, you really have to train with uh, crevasses and glaciers yep. and go out west and take somebody, be trained with the ladders. You know, the, the climbing is totally different. It is climbing. This was not hand over hand anything. Uh, the, the journey for me and for us was the altitude. You do use hiking sticks. There is a lot of up and down, everyday rocks, up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down, but there's not the ice and the snow. Huge difference of going up to that balded, beautiful summit, which is by the way, limited because of visibility, uh, because of weather. That's why you see people that judged it. And there was on the cover of, I forget what magazine, it was a big deal a couple years ago. Don't go there. It's What are you going to go there for? There's thousands, look at all those people. They had a very short window to get to the summit because yep. of the weather, right? So you have to be patient and you have to, you know, that's not my cup of tea at all. That's thing. <laughs> so for you, and, and I, you know, I haven't done this trip, but I did climb Kilimanjaro um, in February mm. of last year. And so I kind of almost liken this this base camp trip to Kilimanjaro because it's not technical climbing. It's just right. the altitude that that gets you. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. I mean, there was some extreme inclines, rocks and uh, strategic placement of your footing, both up and down, because guess what? There's a glacial river gushing yeah. down below. So you have to strategically, but there's no... It, 
I didn't really need to use my hands at any time. And yeah, um, Kilimanjaro is on my list, and I know you inspired me to do yeah, that. Yeah, we'll just have to we'll have to trade trade, trade. adventures and trade <laughs> stories here. So, can you tell me about the tea houses? I always hear people talk about the tea houses, but paint a picture. What what are the tea houses like? So amazingly, um, I pictured that we would be in a tent, but I guess you could if you wanted to. There are so, those that do prefer to be in a tent. Um, the tea houses are. It started long ago with the, the people that live there that just opened up their houses, right, to the, the people trekking through. Um, and now they've established uh, quite a nice additional eight, 10 rooms that are, there's no heat, you know, it's very basic. Some are more modern than others. Um, the, the bed is just, you know, like your, your typical camp where you put your sleeping bag on top of the wood platform yep. and uh, the bathroom is shared. And it might be uh, the whole kind of bathroom in the in the ground, or it might be an actual toilet. Depends. But the tea houses are very welcoming, and that's where the um, the fire is, which is where the community all meets. And at the end of the day, it's in the main house. They you get the meals. Part of my trek was you know the meals included, the breakfast in the morning. Uh, very welcoming people and comfortable. Very comfortable. For, cool. So know, run, running water, tent. running water in the tea houses. Um, no, good question. No, we had to purchase internet and water every day, every time we went to a tea house. So we had, um, boiled water given to us in our, um, this kind of a bottle here, the REI kind of bottle yep. here. So yep. we carried these in our backpack. So they came to us in boiled water, which we purchased. This served to be our heat source in our sleeping bags. And mm. if the rooms were that cold and then in the morning, they were ready to be drink you know we can drink the water um no running water no got it and what um remind me what time of year you went and what the temperatures were like uh, we left late september uh okay. came back mid-october and we had a light snow one day we did have light snow but um we've all we also had when the trees were when we were exposed and higher up there was a lovely sun mm -hmm. um it to me here's the thing the last day before Everest base camp itself is when it was the coldest and the altitude, of course, was the headache uh, because Mike, my husband, didn't take the um, the uh, preventative yeah. um, altitude medicine. He mm -hmm. waited till last minute, so his head was going boom, boom, boom. And this is when it was coldest, and um, you had to have the energy to, to make that last trek, which was about three hours from our tea house. We got up, and then we had a trek to the Mount the Mount Everest Base Camp. No tea house there, and then trek back another three hours. So, yeah, it it. It was chilly as of course as you got up in altitude but yeah. um i had a great sleeping bag my sleeping bag was so warm yeah <laughs> yeah and and so you said that around fourteen thousand feet was when you personally started feeling the altitude sickness i know everybody yes. is that's the thing about altitude sicknesses you just don't know how it's going to affect you and it affects everybody differently what, what was it like for you so it's interesting because you cannot really um it's kind of like birth and death, right? We've all got our own experiences of how we are birthed and babies come in and some women have no problem having a baby and some people have, you know, a harder time. The altitude can't be pinpointed, you can't predict. If a person who's 20 something gets helicoptered off, you were like, look at that person, they look fit. It's just in their, their DNA. Um, yeah. It affects everybody differently. And there's no rhyme or reason there were an awful lot of helicopters flying by because you know there's no transportation there there's yaks that carry by the way all the tea house supplies are carried up there's no amazon trucks it's a yak that carries <laughs> everything um and these big guys carrying the yaks carrying these uh, equipments so um yeah obviously it wasn't too bad if i i was taking the medicine ahead of time where mike wasn't um and i noticed it just as i was feeling as if i was walking through molasses like I couldn't move nearly as easily mm -hmm. as I normally could. Literally slowed me down, had to rest often. Oh, and in my book, I speak about this. Um, it, I start off the book with this adventure where I really thought I was gonna die. So as I should, <laughs> I, how could I forget that? So that's when it started to affect me because I couldn't catch my breath, Scott. Yeah. I couldn't catch my breath. The tribe, our trek was trying to keep up with that time because we lost a day or so at the airport. So they're like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I, I said, look, 
I coach people to take their time and listen to their body. I got to heed my own advice here. And the Trek guide kept his eye on me. Um, they tested our oxygen every night, made sure our yep. oxygen levels were good, right? Um, so I was like, look, I got to stop. And then I felt like I needed to cry and I couldn't. And that's where I was like hyperventilating and I just wanted to catch my breath. And that's where the altitude really whipped my butt. Um, that ability to, to want to release and cry, I couldn't even do it. Um, but other than that, slight headaches, but I had taken the medicine that our doctors gave us before we left. So that's yeah. definitely suggested if you're going to. Yeah, I want, I want to talk about that because I, you know, I experienced something similar on Kilimanjaro. I, you know, I, um, I, as I was going up, you know, I didn't, I didn't think that the altitude really was going to impact me, but it, but it, what it did for me was it, it, uh, it caused insomnia. I couldn't sleep. And oh. so waking up the next morning, I had like no oh. energy and didn't want to eat because I hadn't slept the night before. And so that was kind of freaking me out because I knew I needed to be rested in order to do the, to do that final climb and trying to push through that is tough. So it sounds like you kind of had a moment, um, when you were out there kind of, you know, like you said, you wanted to cry and you couldn't like, how did you push through that? You know, I was coached by Sarah who came over to make sure I was okay. The woman that I told you seven C seven summits, you know, she's uh, done a lot of extreme hikes and summiting already. Um, she came over and gave me what I needed to hear, which was a reminder that I needed to shift my thoughts and put something that was going to be an inspiration at the end of my journey and who I'm going to picture is also written about in my book. And that shift really helped me um, accommodate the fear because we can, pardon the pun, snowball our fears if we let, which is why we don't take a trek, which is we, before we even say that, yes, we let that fear take over. And that's where the mind is so powerful and the, the thoughts can really change, make or break your day. Another quote I love to use is there are no bad days. It's our thoughts that create them. William Shakespeare, I probably bought, butchered that a little bit, but she helped me get a grip. And I pictured there my mom and dad who were are with me eternally in spirit. Okay. My mom and dad are going to be waiting for me. I'm going to visualize that. And I even had um, Jesus and Buddha and they were like all going to sit there waiting for me at base camp. And that's the power of your mindset, which is what my book is about. That Scott is the truth of that. They're welcoming me. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming one step at a time. I'm going to do this. And so I just heeded my advice took it at my pace. And I realized this is not a competition. Just let me be and breathe through it. And I did it. I did it. You did it. <laughs> oh, and so what was the, so when you finally got to the top, to, to where, to your, your <sighs> top at base camp there, what did that feel like for you? That was something because I, you know, I look back at these pictures and, and um, I, I wished I took more, but I was just trying to survive and pay attention and be yeah. present and be in the moment. We were walking to every face camp that day of like three hours, whatever, from that tea house I mentioned. And I said to my trek guide, Raju, and I said, hey, you ever see any avalanches? And just then in the distance was an avalanche. And it, nobody, nobody was near it, thank God. But um, we watched it and I quicked, I got a video of that avalanche in the distance. Um, it got cold and it was rocky. And then when we got up there, it was packed. I was wanting to get closer. We had a beautiful blue sky. And guess what? Raju said we were very lucky because we got to see the summit. So we have pictures of us standing with this blue sky and beautiful Mount Everest herself behind us. Another, what, uh, 12,000 more feet up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so you, there's a couple things you said there I want to touch on. So, so first of all, you talked about sort of this elation that you felt when you got up there, right? And then you mm -hmm. talked about avalanche. And I think that brings us back to that word awe because um, there's a dictionary definition of awe that I love and I reference on this podcast okay. often. Okay. And it is awe being a reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. Ooh. And I'm just wondering if you experienced awe yes. in, in those forms and how that yes. sort of resonates with you. Yes, definitely. That is a, a truly sounds like it hit the mark with the definition of awe. Um, that's why the mountains are so intriguing to me. There's really not words that we can put yeah. to this. Is, so I believe it's 6 million. Uh, it's not 60 million. Oh, I'm forgetting now how many millions of years um, Mount Everest is uh, supposed to be. But 
my intrigue is the depth under the earth and the root system that it just protruded up like this and there's there's depth just like us right so the crown of your head if you're like a mountain this is your summit and you got depth right so that's where we coach when i coach with you we get down into the the mountains are awe inspiring and it led me to want now and i keep going like you and find these adventures uh, every mountain range is inspiring to me, you know, 3000 feet, even the, the ones in New Jersey, northern New Jersey, the, the Mount, mountains, the Ramapo Mountains, that's where I began skiing and all of that yeah. intrigue. So, yeah, awe for sure. Always find awe every day. That's what I say to people. Yeah. So what did that that sort of landscape, just seeing those mountains, being in the presence of the summit, being able to <laughs> see it with that blue sky, like what was that like for you? It's interesting you say that because I did have, um, a, I did take a lot of pictures and my husband had a real Nikon camera, not a digital even, good old fashioned kind that you develop the film. Yet most of the pictures afterwards in all of our publications were from my iPhone. Um, they would be like, where's Monica? Oh, she's taking pictures. I was intrigued in awe. I would, I was like a, like a, a little kid at Christmas. I'm like, wow look at this. And then there was a Buddhist monk and I wanted to take a picture with him. And I didn't know if that was kosher, cool or not. And I asked permission and I have a picture of me standing next to this gentleman. And even that was an awe moment. And I mean, I, would I go back? Absolutely. If you ask my other people, you know, they might say, let's do another summit. Let's go to another um, base camp. But yeah, it's the Himalayan mountains. Oh, they, I mean, they're sacred. And that's what draws me to them. The sacred connection it's it's ethereal it's god it's altruism it's uh spirit it's soul it's however you want to look at it i feel that connection i know a lot of your listeners do as well wow. absolutely so one one final question about the the the, the base camp uh, the visual mm -hmm. experience there like as you're sit as you're there at base camp and you're looking at the summit that blue sky mm -hmm. and you can actually see the summit of mount everest i'm curious being there how your perspective um, for from for those that actually continue on and do the summit that you know they do all the technical training and they've you know they take the time and obviously it's a huge commitment but I'm just curious for somebody that has actually been to base camp and looked up mm -hmm. at that summit did does that make the summit attempt seem uh, more daunting, more doable, or kind of unchange what your thoughts are on the people that actually summit? Good question. No, I was a little intrigued and enticed. I looked up there, I'm going, I was trying to picture myself, okay, if we yeah. camped here, okay, this is base camp. This is where they have all their supplies, their foundation, their, they come back and do a little acclimating and go back up. So maybe I could do that. You know, And I started getting a taste for it because yeah. as you know, the closer you get to anything, you know, let me put myself, visualize myself in that scenario, because if you see it, you believe it, you achieve it. Right. So that it seemed like, yeah, let me see if I could do that. And I thought I thought about it again. Uh, I was like, yeah, maybe not. But yes, the answer would be seeing it made me mm, possibly consider it a little more than I did having not seen it. <laughs> yeah, I love that so much. So you're so by actually getting there, it sort of changed your perspective on it a little bit. Oh, yeah. At least a little bit closer. Well, you know, I feel that I felt the same way about the Grand Canyon. The first time yeah. I saw the Grand Canyon, and I know you have a big trek coming there yeah. soon too. Um, it was right after 9-11 and I got an opportunity and I was like, I am going to see that awe and wonder. And I just sat there and I could have looked at those rocks all day. <laughs> And then it. I'm sitting in the end with uh, two of my three kids at the time. And I, I'm just looking at it going, you know what? Now that I'm here, I could see myself going down on a donkey and visualizing, taking it deeper because you're in it. Why not go a little taste further? Yeah, I love it. So, so Monica, um, before you did this Everest base camp trip, I want to know what adventure meant to you and, and how it's, how that's changed for you now that you've been on that trip and other trips. Well, going back to that quote, you know, doubt can only be overcome by taking action. I had a lot of doubt in my first half of my life. A lot of it was because of the thoughts that were either my own thoughts, self-talk wise yeah. or others. Um, you know, I didn't have enough money. I didn't have enough this. We weren't educated enough and all these not enoughness things created me to hold back from an adventure that was waiting to be born. And that's where I'm living it now. Um, there's no hold me back. My year of 
2020 was the word was uh, I choose a word a year and it was unstoppable before COVID even came. Unstoppable. So I'm like the bamboo, the bamboo that sits under the ground for like five years, I believe it is, until it shoots up and it keeps growing like a weed is unstoppable. And that's me. My adventures were I'm going to dip my toe. I'm the youngest of three. And uh, if you ask my siblings, I was the one that decided, you know what, I'm moving out. Who's coming with me? Uh, you know what? I'm going to drive into Manhattan. What are you kidding me? Look out. I'm going to take the wheel and I'm going to drive in Manhattan. Watch me. <laughs> so my idea of adventure was doing things that my soul, my gut was telling me to do. Even if somebody said, you can't do that. Yeah. You don't have enough money. And I said, watch me. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, my adventures were small, but mighty building up to the foundation where I'm at now, which yeah, is now and yeah. now you're bamboo. So I want to hear about this bamboo. So you're back, <laughs> you're back from Mount Everest base camp and yeah. uh, you've got kind of this new inspiration, this new connection with the mountains. What's next? Yeah. So we had uh, decided we were going to start researching and look at some YouTubes and treks and, and thought about the one in Spain. I think you did it. What is that called? The Camino. Right. The Camino. Yeah. No, we've had, yes. a guest, we've had a guest on a couple of guests on the show that okay. have, that have done okay. the Camino de Santiago. It's on my list. It's on my list. But then we said, let's, uh, COVID came, COVID came. So we put everything on hold, like the rest of the world, um, started still looking at other things. And then Mike was intrigued because Mike did the entire Appalachian trail when he was in his young twenties, he did the cool. entire AT. Um, yeah. yeah. So this is why that explains why this intrigue to go to Mount Everest base yeah. camp. Um, and he did have an interest in summiting at one point in his life, but I think that's changed a little for him too. Yeah. But I will say that we decided to go stick with the, um, the next trek was going to be in our own country and start there. And so we chose the long trail, which predates the Appalachian trail. And, and it was new to me, but he'd heard about it and actually hiked part of it because it's got uh, the AT and the long trail, the LT share about a hundred miles together from right. the bottom of Vermont to the top. And the long trails uh, began as an idea in the early 1900s to teach people and, and educate on how beautiful these green mountains are. They couldn't be farmed and agriculturally uh, leveled, you know, with housing and whatever, but they now of course have ski mountains, but some of that is preserved so that others can hike it. And um, the long trail predates, like I said, the AT. So that's where we decided to go. That was this time last year, we were prep prepping for the hike of another lifetime, another lifetime, a hike, another hike of a lifetime, Yeah, <laughs> which was 272 miles. I didn't mention the miles of the, um, the Mount Everest was 42 miles, Yep, 42 miles. And this now was 272, uh, which was more technical than Mount Everest was a very challenging, rocky. And so we, we set out once the world opened, uh, we, we did it last August. We left end of August and we did, uh, 11 days before our knees and our ankles said, um, cause we were on our own. We didn't have a trek guide. We, yeah. we had a goal carrying, to carrying complete all your own stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Carrying all of our yeah. own stuff. My bag, my backpack was about 22 pounds, 23 pounds. And then he carried the bulk of everything. Um, but it was amazing. Vermont is gorgeous. The long trail, if anybody's been out there, you know, it was uh, fantastic. Um, and because I skied there as a little girl, I was like, yeah. oh my God. That, that special foundation for me. Um, yeah. So yeah, I got that taste to keep going and no stopping me, right? Yeah. So so we've got the Green Mountains in Vermont, which is United States. We've got uh, the Himalayas in Asia, and uh, we're going to knock off another continent here soon, right? Well, exactly. About uh, two weeks after I got back with Mike from the Long Trail, um, I had another... Uh, Opportunity fell into my lap. I was invited to go to the beautiful Sierra Nevada mountains uh, down in South um, America, Colombia, yeah. and Santa Marta very specifically. I was at a TED talk. I was sitting next to a woman who who was talking about having this fun, this um, retreat there. And I, I, I have the book, the picture of it. I don't know if anybody can see that. But anyway, she showed me this picture, this location. And she said, I'm having a retreat at this location. She's a um, uh, manager, I have 28 reserves in South America protecting the rainforests. And so I was looking at the picture and then by November I was on a plane. So I just got back from the long trail and then I went 
If this is not so much hiking. There's a little hike or two in here. You don't yeah. have to hike to get up to that. You're driven. Yeah. Um, but to see that vista and be on those mountains, 6,000 feet above sea level. And so I'm going back. I knew it. I'm going to go you, back. You are going back and you have an opportunity for others to come with you. I do. Yeah. I'm spearheading my own retreat there. I knew I'd be back. Um, I did teach at that retreat in November. I did do a walking meditation and it's the rainforest. So it's so, so lush and full of life and bird sanctuary. It's been a bird sanctuary for 15 years. People come from all over the world. Um, El Dorado is the name of the reserve. And so, yeah, I'm going back with um, a small group that is, there's still room. There's still time. I leave April 14th and we go to the 19th. I'm going to take a little side trip to Cartagena after that and see that. And now I know I'll be back next year too. I just feel like this is my calling to answer the call to this beautiful part, which by the way, the indigenous people, and I think I mentioned this, Scott, to you, that the indigenous tribes of Santa Marta say that this part of the world is Mother Earth's heart. And the rivers that run down from the top of these mountains, these sacred mountains, nobody really goes all the way up there, is the, the, the river water is Mother Earth's breast milk. And they say that Mother Earth, you know, our energy of our home, which we are here temporarily for, um, is needing our attention. And so that's the Kogi tribe. Um, and yeah, it's a very sacred place for them. Very sacred. And it's magical. It's yeah. talk about awe with a capital awe. I can't wait to see uh, what the next adventure is. The retreat sounds amazing. You've, I mean, and this is just, you know, base camp, I think you said was only four years ago. And now we've kind of mm -hmm. started, started tackling all these mountains. So I cannot wait to sort of follow your journey and see where it goes. Um, I want to, I want to make sure that we just touch on the book quickly um, for listeners love for, for people to, to grab a copy. It's great. Can you just give us a real quick synopsis and, and then our listeners certainly can, can, can get their own copy. Yeah. I love it. Um, I sent you a copy. I don't know if you got it yet. In the mail. I did. And I read the whole thing. Yeah. We're going to have to have another conversation oh, about that. Oh, thank, yeah. thank you. Wow. So yeah, this is open your presence. As you mentioned in the beginning, um, it is about five or so plus years in the making. It's a, it's a culmination of all of my spiritual beliefs into a method for the readers to find more calm in chaos, one step at a time, one breath at a time to allow space for these fears, for these avalanches, both real and uh, emotional that happen in our life. Then the uh, it's a method that is based on, and I don't want to give away the whole thing, but please, when if and when you read the book, please don't skip over the preface, the introduction and the foreword because it really sets you up. Um, in short, the mala bead is a prayer bead that is like the rosary bead that I was raised with. And I believe we all need to set an intention, lift another with one word or uh, two words. Thank you. A prayer. We are very powerful creatures, just like the mountains saying, ah, you know, thanking people or being present, which is the cover of the book with the arms up, is the vulnerability, the exposing of my heart to your heart. And speaking of the heart of Mother Earth. Presence is the energy within the mountains. The mm. presence is within you. You can feel the aliveness when you go to a mountain, right? Would you agree? Absolutely. That energy of our own presence, you can feel if somebody comes into the room and they have a heavy hearted feeling going on in their story. The mountains are the same for me. And that open your presence to find calm in the chaos is a methodology. Oh, and by the way, it's an interactive book. It's a journaling book. Yes, it is. The second half of the book is all about quotes that inspire you, inspire your campfire, burn, baby, burn, you know, <laughs> so that you take action in three simple steps. You see, we, we want to simplify our lives. The world is so amazing right now, but it's a paradox. We've got all these great connections. We're able to interview here, but we've been disconnected. And I think COVID has given us an eye-opening opportunity to find the awe and the wonder within our own mountains of our lives. And I think that's the, the next book coming up for me is something with the trilogy of these mountains and you. Yeah, you yeah. have you have so much going on. <laughs> you have lived such a full life from your oh career and your yoga 
and then you've kind of explored this whole world of mountains and I am just so excited to see where this goes, but I know that at some point Hollywood is going to pick up on this story. Yeah. And make a movie about <laughs> your life. <laughs> and I want to know when they do who the Hollywood actress is going to be, that's going to play you in this movie. Well, that's funny. Even though I had an acting career myself, I have to pick somebody else. All right. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, no, I would say, um, you know, it's funny. Um, Lily Tomlin is a little like me, her character. Nice. Too, Lily Tomlin uh, and a combination of um, Valerie Bertinelli, somewhere in there. They're very different ages, but that energy um, is where I would see and or myself. Um, yeah, I what do you see think? that. Do you, wanna, do you wanna play yourself or do you want somebody else to play you? No, I think somebody else can play me. Yeah, I think somebody <laughs> else can play me. Yeah, Woo, take the logo. Yeah. What's your movie going to be called? I would say, um, you know, I thought about this and, and I actually asked a lot of my coaching clients, what's the next chapter of your life called? You get yeah. to create it, right? We get to create it. I would say it's either answer the call. Ooh, I love that. Answer the call because um, we all have a call and a calling. But like you said, and I think you referenced it earlier, we don't always answer it, right? I always say, hey, there's a knock at the door. Are you answering it, right? Or are we running from it? So yeah, I think I like that. Answer the call. I love it. This yeah. is great. I'm going to go you. see that movie. That's going to be great. <laughs> Monica, if people want to get you. in touch with you or they want to find out more or they want to get your book, what's the best way for people to do that? Uh, book sold anywhere books are sold. Amazon as well as your local bookstores. And um, my handle for Instagram is Awakened Soulmate. 108 because the 108 method is my creation of this what the book is about yes. awakened soulmate is my coaching uh website awakenedsoulmate.com where you can find out more about the retreat and upcoming retreats and that is also where you can contact me also my monica for nandy f-e-r-n-a-n-d-i.com is my yoga information and some blogs and there's a YouTube channel. How did I forget that? The YouTube is uh, Awakened Soulmate as well. So there, I think I covered it all. Perfect. You did. Awakened Soulmate. Thank you so much for your time today. I learned a My ton. I am, I'm even more fired up to get out to Nepal Woo! and go to base camp myself. And, you know, the long trail, maybe I, maybe that's on the list now too. It sounds amazing. It um, truly is. It truly yeah. is. And so thank you. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Monica's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thank you for listening. Monica, thank you so much for yes! being here. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Big hugs, big hugs. Super fun. Thank you. <laughs>